Welcome to the Steady On Podcast, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. I'm Angie Bauman, and this is a bonus fiction-focused episode with my best friends, Lisa Wood and Maria Jessup, and our virtual book club guest, award-winning author, essayist, and novelist, Patricia Raybon. Patricia has been writing nonfiction Christian books and articles for literally decades, but she joined us recently to talk about something new she's doing, writing fiction. All That Is Secret is her first work of fiction, and it is a mystery that takes us into 1920s Colorado as we follow a woman on her journey to find her earthly father's killer and find again her heavenly father's love and care for her. My friends and I adored Patricia, and I hope you will enjoy listening to her talk about her writing process, the decision to follow God into new territory, and her dedication to write, in the words of her bio, at the daring intersection of faith and race. Let's listen in. Good evening, Steady On community, and welcome to our spring edition of the virtual book club where we are going to be discussing because we have been reading All That Is Secret by, oh, you have a real book, usually, and Patricia has her book, (laughs) usually Maria holds up her uh, tablet because she's an e-reader, Patricia, so, uh, yeah, so, but we are going to be talking about All That Is Secret by Patricia Rabin, and Patricia is with us tonight. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you tonight. Thank you so much. We are delighted to have you. And if you happen to be catching us on the replay or listening to this podcast episode in a few weeks after it drops, um, we're just so glad that you have caught us and you are in for a real treat because Patricia is an award-winning author and novelist and she's right written top rated books at the um at this daring intersection i got this from your bio i thought this was a really neat thing this uh intersection of race and faith and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes and she's been published in the new york times magazine in newsweek and usa today in the chicago tribune do you like it when we, people just rattle off all these things Patricia, <laughs> in the denver post in guideposts that's it i'm gonna like not that's not it but there's a whole lot more but that's the end of that list and um but if i remember correctly all that is secret is your first work of fiction is that true that's, that's right yeah after, after a lot of years of nonfiction. Yeah. How many years have you been writing and publishing books? Well, I tell my age. No, uh, you don't have to do that. (laughs) Um, Five plus decades. And that includes um, the years in journalism, newspaper journalism. Okay. Wow. And and then um, the past 20 years or so after teaching for a while at the University of Colorado and teaching journalism at the University of Colorado at Boulder, I started writing full-time for audiences of faith, never guessing that ultimately I would end up in fiction, but uh, here we are. (laughs) So I want to ask this question of that right away. After five decades of writing, uh, being a journalism professor, accomplished, uh, you know, lots of accolades and stuff, I think it's very brave to try something really different and new. What, what was that about? Why, why something new at this point in your career? Well, a couple of things. I love fiction. And uh, I always have. I, I don't know. Speaking of age, I don't know if anybody remembers the era of the really big, big um, epic novels. Uh, and I um, enjoyed <laughs> them so much. 
always thinking, always, um, you know, hoping, dreaming. That's the word I'm looking for. Always dreaming that I'd have an opportunity to try my hand at fiction. So I started um, years ago buying and uh, borrowing from the library and, and purchasing books on writing fiction because I was just so fascinated with how words on paper could draw us into a, a um, you know, a, a made up story. And why was that so compelling? And how could I learn to do it? Mm. And so that's really the, the um, what started it. What led to this book is the pandemic summer. You know, we were all isolated. I live in Colorado, which is where I grew up. And, um, and we were a pretty heavy lockdown state. And so that summer, that was 2020, I, you know, I had a choice. I would watch cable TV all day about the pandemic, was, which was very despairing. And, um, or I said to my husband, what if I finish that novel that I had started? And uh, to, just to see, you know, where, where it went. I didn't know if anything would come of it. But um, I decided to try. So I went back and dug out all of those books I had on um, writing and plotting fiction, sat on my de back deck and read all of those books and, and worked on the uh, putting the, I had the skeleton of the story, but it was time to put the flesh on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what happened. And were the people who have published you already, I don't know this part of the story, were they interested in publishing your work of fiction also, or was that like kind of a whole new thing to get to know as well, like different, different agent? Did you have the same agent? How did that work for you? Yeah, I have had the same agent. I've had over the years, I've had three agents. My last, former agent um, eventually retired. And so um, presently, my, my agent is Greg Johnson at WordServe. And, uh, and so once I finish the manuscript, I sent him an email and said, um, I've done a thing. <laughs> I, I have, a, what would you think? Or I said, would you be interested in representing my fiction? And I sent him um, the uh, first, you know, like three chapters, something like that. And I started working on a book proposal and he said, I really love this. And, uh, you know, let's see what, what happens with it. Mm -hmm. So, but I've known him for years. I've yeah. known his wife. And so I appreciate that he trusted mm -hmm. um, that I would try it. Yeah. And, and then the other thing about this, Angie, is, um, and that's the biblical uh, mandate that we have or permission. I use that word. The biblical permission that we have to try something new. Amen. And yeah. one of my favorite um Verses about that, I, I, it's Isaiah, and I think it's in the 53rd chapter. But um, if you know that story, the, um, the Israelites are, I don't, maybe I shouldn't use the word obsessed, but really fixated on their deliverance through the Red Sea, which was um, an amazing miracle. Mm -hmm. But through Isaiah, the Lord says to tell them, um, you know, yes, that was amazing, but I'm doing a new thing. Yeah. You know, that verse, 
Yes. And mm-hmm. then he says, can't you see it? Yeah. You know, I'm, there'll be, uh, you know, rivers in the desert. And yeah. I, I am, the, I'm not just a God of one miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, I, yeah. so I just, well, I don't want to hog. The no, 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 no. That's so good. We want you to hog. The <laughs> but, I, but I think you're so right in that sometimes because we're still waiting for God to do the thing, the miracle thing we're expecting, we can yes. so easily miss the miracle thing he's doing because it doesn't show up the same way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, that's so good. And then I guess the other thing about that is that we were, we are still in a pandemic. And um, I had read something about Shakespeare, obviously, I don't compare myself to Shakespeare, but that he was born in a pandemic. And then during his lifetime, there were different plagues. And and, and so I thought, well, gee, if he could write all that amazing material, then what's my excuse? You know, it's <laughs> kind of like there's, this is a horrible yeah. thing that's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, I need to um, try something just because I've had the a privilege to be here and to work on this. Mm-hmm. So go do it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Lisa, well, Lisa wanted to ask about your your main character. Let's start there. What did you okay. want to ask? Yeah, I would like to know how you come up with her name. <laughs> oh. Emily. I, I don't know why, but I was reading, I go, I wonder where this name came from? Because, you know, it's not like it's, you know, uh, Nancy or, right. you know, Mary or, you know, so it's, it's different. Yeah. It's different. Spain. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Annalise Spain. It's a strong name. It is. Well, if I, if I answered the question about her first name, then there's a spoiler attached to that. Oh, don't oh. do that. Okay. Yeah. Don't <laughs> do that. Nope. We don't do spoilers. <laughs> We've learned. But I will tell you, I will tell you, um, this, um, Lisa, and I, and I think it's, I don't know where I read this, but it was the idea that in a work of fiction, that nobody in the book should have a name that starts with the same letter. Okay. And so I th- I'm pretty sure in this book that uh, everybody has names with uh, different beginning letters. And then I just like the fact that um, her, she's at the beginning of the alphabet. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, I've read it twice. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. And I, <laughs> I didn't notice that. I, that is something I would never notice. And now that you say it, I will not be able to not notice it. Right. <laughs> it probably helps us keep the character straight when we're yeah, reading a work like of fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. That's really, so yeah. why a mystery? Are you a Sherlock Holmes fan like Anna Lee is in the book? I love, love, love mysteries. I really love clergy mysteries. Um, you know, Father Brown, Father uh, Dowling, um, the rabbi mysteries. They, they all, those books all had uh, names of weeks. Friday, the, Friday, the rabbi slept late and Saturday, you know, so mm-hmm. I love, I, so I wanted um, a character who has a, had a faith connection because I grew up in the church. And um, I always say I grew up on a church pew. And then somebody asked, said, I mean, I was born on a church pew. And somebody said, you were? (laughs) (laughs) But I wasn't. But, you know, my family spent a lot of time in church. So it would be natural for me to know what that 
looks like and feels like. And so I wanted a character who had a faith uh, connection, even though she's struggling with her faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- I-, I grew up a preacher's kid. I was born on a Sunday, if I remember this correctly, and I was in church the next Sunday and I haven't missed <laughs> I haven't missed very many since then. So yeah, I understand. I grew up in church too. And I'm so grateful. I was so grateful that that is true because I've really never, I've never, not, not only did I grow up in church, but I, I really grew up knowing Jesus. Like I really did. And, and I've I've been, I've been unfortunate enough, I guess, in some ways to have some times of wandering, but I've never not known his voice. And I'm so grateful that that's, that's something that's true in my life. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I think you're going to we'll probably get to this on a much deeper level and uh, it doesn't have a spoiler, but I, I really um, uh, liked, identified with, enjoyed, whatever, that she was this theological professor and yet she was unsure of her faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, that's very real, very yeah. human. I really all kind I of would love for that. you to talk about that, Patricia. Yeah, because I think that was so relatable, but also maybe a little bit of a risk or something in Christian genre. What, what, why, why that direction with her? Well, um, she, it's not a spoiler to share that um, she's struggling because she has lost the only parent she's only ever known, and that's her, her father, mm-hmm. who at the beginning of the story has been killed, she believes has been murdered. Mm-hmm. And so that loss is what um, challenged what she believed, you know, what, who is this God who would allow something like this to happen? And, um, and what does that mean about what I believe about my faith? And so I think that's, um, you know, that showing that, that uh, honesty and that vulnerability is, is relatable. And, and this is something about her relatability, I'll say this, because uh, you mentioned that I write at that intersection of faith and race. Yes. And so, um, I wanted to create a character. I, I wanted to create a young woman of color who's trying to figure out her life and her faith and her place in a, a climate and a culture of bigotry and prejudice while she's figuring out a mystery. And, um, and I, that was where I wanted to, um, you know, where I wanted the story to be so that it was not, not like some of my nonfiction writing, which is um, around these topics, has been more um, declarative, mm-hmm. saying this is what we should do and this is how we should. So, excuse me, for this story, I did not want to write that kind of book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, once I got into her life, she um, dealt with, you know, that that kind of um, discrimination, because yeah. that's just part of the reality. That's part of her of the reality of being a person of color in a culture that's not, you know, your majority culture. Yeah. Um, but it's still not. Um, I think it's a book that people can find themselves in, because I'm not trying to teach a lesson mm-hmm. or you know make a point about that. It's just what she has. That's rea- reality of her life. 
I, I liked so much how it pointed, I saw myself in it, in that it pointed to a lot of times when we're trying to solve the mystery on the outside, if you will, uh, yeah. it really, it really helps us solve the mystery or answer the questions that are on the inside. And, um, and you yeah, did a beautiful right. job of pulling that together in a way that even though our experiences, mine and Annalise are so different, I'm like, oh, I, I, I know what that feels like that place where she has found herself. I want to ask a follow-up question on what you said, because I know when I was watching a previous interview with you, you were talking about the, um, the rule, I guess, of the KKK in the 1920s in, in Denver, in Colorado, I had no idea that was part of Colorado's history. So it was really interesting. And I'm wondering, like, did that take a lot of research on your part? Or since you grew up in Colorado, is that something that like was always going to be a part of the story for you? Would you talk about that just a minute? Sure. I have, um, growing up here, I had heard about the Klan era for, for many years. And so I, and there's several really good histories about the uh, Ku Klux Klan in Colorado. And so I started just reading some of those. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, when I began to do the macro his, uh, research, you know, I did the, my, the micro, I'll talk about that in a second. But to do the macro research, I ended up at the library, but it's the pandemic, so I can't go to the library, right? So um, I went through the Denver Public Library's digital collections, and oh my gosh, there are oral histories from that era that, you know, you just type in clan, for example, mm-hmm. and then all of this material comes up, uh, tapes and um, audio tapes of people talking about the clan and of and people who were involved in it. And so it was fascinating to hear real life people talking about that era. And, uh, and then somebody at the library pointed me to a research resource called Colorado Historical Newspapers and .com. And it was a priceless resource because same thing, you put in a keyword and all of these old newspapers come up. I don't know if any of you remember what a microfiche was. <laughs> remember those days? <laughs> yes. I had to do those reports in college. Yes. yes. Go to the yes. microfiche yes. machines. Yes. <laughs> yes. So essentially it's available now online. And so it was so fun looking at those old newspapers because not only are the old articles there, but if you're, you're looking at the real page. So there are advertisements and, mm-hmm. you know, of women's clothing and shoes. And, mm-hmm. and so it was just, and I like, I love historical fiction. And, um, and so it was never, it never felt like work. Mm. But it never uh, felt like work. That's amazing. Never, yeah. Never felt like neat. work. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. There's a scene at one point um, where one character is, uh, yanks down his, the zipper on his jacket. Well, in that era, it was not common. The zip, zippers had been um, invented, but they were not commonly used in the 1920s on on garments. And so, you know, it was fun to know, oh, wait, I can't have zippers. I have to have buttons. <laughs> interesting. That is interesting. So, this little, yeah. you know, so the yeah. micro and the macro. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's, then, a, it's those little things that weave the the details that weave the story into a believable mm-hmm. uh, to take us to a whole different time. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I love a. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Lisa. I, you know, I love mysteries, and I like my books to have someone has to die, and we got to figure out who did. Lisa's our mystery lover. Yes, <laughs> but I also love historical fiction. So if you can put them together, that's like my ideal book. So thanks. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Maria had an affinity or a question about Eddie that she was going to pose uh, to you. Maybe because she's the school teacher. So she was, she was drawn to the little boy. Yeah, Yeah. he was, he was. And yeah, I just wondered what made you attach Eddie to um, Annalie, like, you know, and bring that character alongside her storyline as a, as a minor character, minor major, you know, oh, there I go. go. (laughs) She's gone. She can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you watching, Marie's at school and her lights go off every once in a while, but she'll be back. <laughs> Envi- Envi- environmental is what it is. Yes. <laughs> well, to answer your question, Maria, um, I had not planned on Eddie. And, um, and in fact, I'll share with you that, that you've probably heard that there, I'm, I'm going to answer your question in a second. But you probably heard that there are two buckets that novelists fall into. One are the, the plotters, people who carefully outline you know, characters and the plot. And then there are the pantsers who write by the seat of their pants. <laughs> and so I discovered that I'm a pantser. And I would, so, that's not what I would have thought you were going to say, actually. That's interesting. Yes. So there's a place early in the story where Emily. Um, here's a tap on her door, tap, tap, tap. And when the, so for me as a pantser, I have had to decide who's going to be on the other side when she opens the door. And, um, and when she did, the, the character who, uh, who emerged was Eddie. And so he's a little white boy who has been um, orphaned, he thinks, and he's looking for his missing father. And so it was, I'll confess this to you, that I wondered if this, if this character was going to be a little boy, should he be a little black boy? And, um, but we're in the pandemic, right? And I thought, you know, I like Eddie and, um, and I'm not gonna get into these details or arguments about why is he this or not that, he was there. He showed up. And so I decided to, you know, go with it. And, um, and he t- turned out to be one of the most popular characters in the book. People really love him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is really, he, he's, he helps the story grow, I think. And he put, he, I think Eddie is the one, this is what I see. I'm interested in what you think, Patricia, but I, Eddie's the one that is like, sometimes moves the story along by asking the hard questions of Anna Lee. He does. And I really love the relationship that develops between the two of them. She's, she's alone in the world. He's alone in the world. And, um, and so despite the times that they're in, when um, they should not in any way have been, you know, connected, um, they do connect. And I think it's, um, you know, a rich reminder to us that, you know, the Lord sends people 
they may not look like who we expected, but uh, you know, if we lean, lean into those relationships, they can be just really uh, life-changing or even life-saving. So, yeah. So how do you, yeah, absolutely. So how, how do you decide then, or maybe since you're a pantser, uh, this is maybe you don't decide, (laughs) but I, I felt like I learned a lot about the culture. I felt like I learned about the oppression or the cruelty of the, of the clan at a different, like I, and I also felt very much that I felt the strain of the Holy spirit inviting me to take a look at some things in my own life, which is that it's that intersection that you, you really do that really, really well. Do you have sort of a, do you, do you have like a twofold goal? Am I saying that right? Like I want to teach about both things or does the, does the teaching about the culture, uh, come naturally because you've studied it? How do you decide how much of each to sort of put in there for us? That's a great question. Um, because I had been warned in all these fiction writing books that I've been reading that people don't want to be taught mm. in a story. They just want to experience it. But then the other piece of that is that the, the story uh, telling theorists say that story matters because it provides equipment for living. It provides a takeaway. Mm. And so if we just get in and tell the story, and Jesus did that with parables. You know, if we just tell the story, there will be takeaways that people will discover. Um, and and if, you, if it happens really well, then, as you say, for your own life. Yeah. Not because the, the writer said, okay, here's something you better learn. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a different kind of book. This is supposed to be an entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then the, the um, amazing a gift of, of um, the made-up story is that there's tons of truth in it. So I read some, one of the novelists said, um, a story is a lie that tells the truth over and over again. Mm. So, you know, we know it's not true. These aren't, re- these aren't real people, but um, what's happening to them is real to real life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, so, you know, we can relate to them. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that stories about real things, like, like Titanic comes to mind for me, which is mm-hmm. like an old movie about that. Like, and so in that movie, right, we learn, I did anyway, because it came about at a time where, I mean, I'd never studied the Titanic when, yeah. when you care about your historical facts, you learn about like this event that happened in history, right. And yes. the, the screen, but, but then also in these characters that this person creates that are uh, not true, if you will, but we can believe that there are, there's pieces of truth in that story because we don't know all the stories that happened as that ship went down. And I think, and we feel there's their story in this greater thing. And so we learn something about them and we learn something about the event and we learn something about ourselves by watching how they handle it, which is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that, um, this book has, opened up for me an uh, entire new family of readers people sure. who, who may have heard about some of my nonfiction um, books or writing but never would necessarily have read it yeah but um, people who as 
um, Lisa was saying, love historical fiction and they love uh, mysteries. Yeah. And so they're saying, yeah. Yeah. I'll <laughs> give her a try. If she's going to write something worth reading. No, I just not take it to the next step that I love that you've already alluded to the fact that it'll be a series. So we are going to get to watch Annalie's life. I'm assuming it'll be Annalie a little bit more unfold, you know, and, and so I, I, I can appreciate that too. Is that, yes. you know, yeah. Well, and you know, just so like in these boxes and I think it's really, so Lisa is our mystery lover. She mm-hmm. loves mysteries. Uh, Maria is our romance, tie everything in a pretty bow at the mm-hmm. end. She's the one that likes that. I, my preference is nonfiction because I, I like to write, I like real stories. You know, that's what I I like nonfiction. And I like, I love memoirs and like biographies, those kind of stories, you know? Um, and so, but, but we all loved this book, you know? And so I think, and so there, I think that's really, um, something important too, you know, because it is, it's very, uh, it, it crosses those like genres, I guess, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that, of course, no matter what kind of book you write, um, a, a book proposal is supposed to identify a uh, your core audience. Yes. And so, um, you know, but when you write, any of us write a book, you we want everybody to read it, you know. <laughs> But I had decided fairly early on to do something I'd never done before. And that is to buy, to, to budget, um, to invest in some Facebook and Twitter targeted ads. Well, to, in order to um, do that, the person who buys the ads has to narrow, narrow down. Who are you targeting? Who are you targeting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, um, the Lord invited me to lean into who this book would um, speak to most. And what I found out that my is that my readers will be women, probably older, not probably, let me not dance around that. Older women, my core readers. <laughs> older women. So we're on the very young end of your yeah, target. No, we're, yeah. Yeah. So we're the boxes. <laughs> we're older, I'll say, we know. I'll say, I'll say yeah, a little we'll, bit more we'll about that. It. No, it's all right. <laughs> but I need to say this because I yeah. was really pushing back. Mm-hmm. But women who are older, who love, and this is how I define it for myself. Women who are older, who love Jesus and a good mystery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when I identified her I could start to see mm-hmm. my readers and I designed my um my Facebook and my Twitter ads for that audience mm-hmm. and they those people have really really responded mm-hmm. other a lot other people have read the book and enjoyed it young women like you <laughs> who aren't in that, in that older dem- demographic and I'm grateful for that yeah. and some men yeah but I had to, um, you know, the Lord really um, invited me to really think about my core audience. And what has, what I learned from that is that a lot of my core audience are, are readers who haven't, aren't necessarily valued in, um, as a demographic in other places. 
Interesting. And so I would, you guys, I would get these emails. I mean, these um, Facebook messages or Twitter messages from people saying, your book came over my feed and I was so glad to see it and I can't wait to read it. And it was like, it just has made me um, feel really uh, grateful for that core audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to, because it's been able to say, the messaging, the marketing has been able to say, we see you and we value you. And here's a story that we, you know, I believe you will love until, and, that, and those readers have really responded to the book. That reminds me what you were saying about the new, that I'm doing a new thing. I mean, even that is like a new thing. So there are new people that you're reaching, which you mentioned already, but there are people yeah. that you are reaching that maybe felt like they weren't, there wasn't as much for them or something. And so through your different work, they're feeling affirmed differently even. And I love that part of this too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I've enjoyed it. One woman wrote me and said, is there any cursing in this book? And a profanity, I think that's the word. And uh, I was able to say no. <laughs> and so it, that mattered to her. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I said, no, there's no cursing. Yeah. In it. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, you mentioned the one verse in Isaiah, the one, that one section. Is there anything else that for you, either just for you personally, is really special to you? A verse, passage, story, or specifically important to you as you were writing this? Um, well, yes. Um, one verse out of Galatians is Galatians 6, 4. I'm, I'm looking at it because it's hanging up next to my computer. It. Um, and it's about a, a paying attention. It's about um, focusing on the work that's in my hand. And I say that because in the, in the writing world, you know, there's so many, so many people writing books, so many authors, and some of them are very successful. Some of the people at my publishing house, Tyndale House, are hugely successful. And so it can be very distracting to, um, you know, to wonder and worry about what other people are doing. So this is the New Living Translation of that verse. And it says, pay careful attention to your own work. And then you will um, get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Oh, that's a word, Patricia. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just um, blessed me, I would say, literally every day while mm-hmm. I was working on this project. Yeah. It, because I, you know, I could have very easily wondered, you know, am I doing what so-and-so would have done? Am I writing this? like? And this verse told me every day, you just... Uh, honor what's in your hand and mm. work on that. And that's so important. Just I'm so, thank you for sharing that. These yeah. girls know they've, they've watched me the last some years, you know, as I've in ministry and doing, and it's so easy. It's so easy to look right or left. And when I look yeah. right or left, I get anxious and nervous and I feel defeated and frustrated. And when I look at him, I feel affirmed. Right. I feel filled up. I feel, and I know this and still we do it. And, and it doesn't matter if we're in ministry or teaching or what, like, I think we, we can all do it. We can look right and left and say, well, I'm not doing it the way she is, or I'm not right. doing this, or I'm not getting what they're getting. Right. And yeah, it's such a trap. Yes, it is. Thank you for that <laughs> reminder. Thank you for yes. that reminder. 
Yes. This has been so fantastic. Before we let you go, um, I always like to ask my guests if they're, um, if you would be willing to just give us a little peek into your life. What might you be right now uh, reading, listening to, watching, anything goes uh, that's just keeping you filled up, keeping you connected to God right now? Yes. Well, we are in the season of Lent. I know not everybody observes Lent. I happen to be in a um, Protestant tradition that does observe Lent. And, um, and so I have been during this uh, season of Lent, studying every morning and evening or reflecting every morning and evening on the 23rd Psalm. Mm. And then um, one verse, um, the, the general Psalm, the whole Psalm, and then on each day, one of the verses from the song. And I was telling my daughter, my eldest daughter yesterday, I don't think I ever actually memorized the 23rd Psalm. It's, you know, it's one of those that many people have. But um, in uh, just sitting with it for um, every day has been such a blessing to me. And um, yesterday I was in the, the section that says he anoints our head with oil, our cups runneth over. And my daughter was telling me about um, some job hunt, hunting that she's been involved in it that resulted in, in one day, three different offer, offers. And I said to her, I said, you know, your cup runneth over. Mm. And so many, and something happened to me this week that I said that to my husband this morning. I said, you know, there's so many good things at one time um, that I could, it, it was too much for me to even, um, you know, sort of embrace because it was so, so much. And of course, that doesn't happen to us every day. But I think, Angie, I think because I had been reflecting on that uh, song, and then the past few days on that particular verse, I was really able to see mm -hmm. the overflowing cup. You know, I think that's so true. And I think it's not as obvious to us every day, but right. if we decide to look for it, this and, is one of the things that if we decide to look for it, it yeah. does happen to us every day because it, it, because we do have so many things we can praise him for. And that doesn't mean like every day we don't get three job offers, right? Like I right. know that, you know, like totally know that, but I don't know. One of the things that he just continues to invite me to sit with is, will you notice me in mm -hmm. the everyday? Every, every day. Yes. Because if you will, then when you have a have a day where you'd get no job offers. It'll be so much easier still to see me when you have this habit, right. Of looking right. for me in the everyday. And I love that intentionality, mm -hmm. which also goes back to that verse that you shared mm -hmm. about, you know, comparing, because when we're focused on our overflowing cup and, and embracing it and believing in it, then we don't need what other people have so much because yes. we, yeah, so yeah, that's good. I am, um, you know, there are a lot of ways to observe Lent. Some people, um, fast with um, the, what they're eating. Mm -hmm. I know the Daniel fast is very popular. In fact, at my church, a lot of people are um, observing the Daniel fast um, or people may decide not to watch Netflix or whatever. But um, this, I read actually um, another woman talking about focusing uh, morning and evening 
on a psalm, one, one psalm. And so I thought, well, I'll try that for Lynn. And I have just enjoyed it so much. <laughs> yeah. That's so, great. Uh, yeah, that's wonderful. My verse, our verse this week on the, on this steady on page is uh, Psalm 119, 68, which just simply says you are good. And what you do is good. Yeah. And we're just, we're just sitting right in that. Just like what you're talking about. Like, how do we recognize the overflowing cup? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Patricia's yeah. book is all that is secret. We <laughs> loved it. I cannot recommend it enough. It's been so great. Yes. It's been so great to read it and she can be found at patriciaraybon.com, which I will put in the comments. I will link in the okay. show notes if you're listening after, um, on the podcast and, uh, I will link all the th- places where you can find and follow her and you are a gift, Patricia. Thank you so much for, sharing your gift with us and for spending some time with us this evening. I've enjoyed it so much, even with the lights going. All right. <laughs> well, we knew that would just add a little bit of, you know, uh, entertainment, celebration. So it happens to my students too. They're like, what was that? When, when, her okay. student, when her student, her light is just a little bit too uh, persnickety. Maybe Whoa, when her students right. get to working real hard and they're quiet, yeah. the lights go off. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Patricia, thank you again so much for being with us. And folks, thank you thank so you. much for watching. And until next time, peace. As I'm sure you picked up in the interview, Lisa is the mystery lover of our group. But we all loved this book. And if you love a mystery, I encourage you to try All That Is Secret. It's available wherever books are sold, and it's the first offering from Patricia in the Annalise Spain Mystery Series. Can we stay in touch? The links to follow all things Steady On are in today's show notes, and I'd love to connect with you on Facebook or on Instagram, or if you'd rather just drop me an email and say hello, you can reach out to me anytime at steadyonpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I pray wherever your day takes you, you are walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.